Welcome to the Online Weekend Experience. Happy Easter to you. So glad you're jumping in with us this way. My name's Aiden, one of the pastors here at the Norton Campus of Grace Church. Uh, we are glad that you are jumping in uh, this way today. I, uh, within the last couple of years, maybe I don't remember when it exactly was, but I, I was at a grocery store and I often take my, one of my, my boys to the grocery store with me and I throw them in the cart, fill it up with chips and stuff. And so we're, we're in the checkout line. And they're coming up to the checkout line, and there's a lady who's working. And I said, how are we doing? And I don't remember exactly how the interaction goes, but she said something to the extent of, they don't believe me. And I, was, I said, what's that? She goes, they don't believe me. So I was like, nice to see you today, too. And she told me a story about how when she was young, she was in the woods. She saw some sticks stuck in the ground. She thought this was strange. And as she was walking, she examined this site. And as she was leaving the site, she looked back. And what she claimed that she saw was a Yeti. That's what she said. And I, that was just what I did. I just walked up to the, that was like the beginning of the checkout line. And where do you go from there? You just, well, so how was the rest of your weekend, right? Now, if you're not sure what a Yeti is, uh, you almost think of what a polar bear is to a grizzly bear is what a Yeti is to a Bigfoot. So this is Bigfoot. You know, Harry and the Hendersons, probably I'm going to call it, you know, old movie. But this lady claimed to see a Yeti. And I was just standing there in the line with my groceries. Was, this was an amazing experience with this lady. And as I think about it, I can think a couple things. Either this lady is a little bananas, or there's a Yeti around here somewhere, Right? As, as we walk into Easter, springtime is coming. You look at your 10-day forecast here in Ohio. It's going to be beautiful. As we walk into the Easter weekend, as we celebrate Easter today, I'm not always sure that we stop and we think about the boldness and the claim of what Easter actually is. Sometimes I think we think about Easter as, you know, it's this religious fable. It's kind of a, a hopeful story about you know, this character, Jesus. Maybe we think it's this analogy for springtime or new life. You know, you see winter becoming springtime as this analogy for new life and, and kind of new things happening. But ladies and gentlemen, we believe the Christian faith, we believe, if you're a follower of Jesus, that a poor Jewish carpenter from the backwoods of Israel, that he was God himself. He was the infinite creator who was crucified by the Roman state, laid in a tomb. And after three long days, he rose from the grave. My friends, this, what we believe about this is not optional. It's not something to consider, but this is the linchpin on which the entire Christian faith holds. Everything, this is the point of what we believe, is that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. And the reality of the resurrection, for a, for a follower of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection, it redeems our past. It reorients our present, and it gives us a deep sense of hope for tomorrow. And isn't that what we all long for? Our past to be dealt with, to have meaning for our day-to-day and to have a hope that is brighter than just hopefully tomorrow goes better. In all of these things, the, the, the Christian faith, the resurrection speaks to all of these things. We last week kicked off a new series called Jesus Is, where we've been going through the seven I am statements in the book of John, where Jesus makes these declarations about who he is. He says, I am the way, truth, and life. I'm the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. 
And he says all these different statements. That in these statements, it's not just an opportunity to know something about God, but it's an invitation. An invitation to not just know about him, but to know him. To live in relationship with him. To, to dive deeper into who he is in this relationship that he invites us into. And today, we want to look at one of these I am statements. And it happens in the midst of maybe one of his most amazing miracles. And this miracle would be the crossroads of his life. For from this point onwards, he kind of heads towards the cross. And it happens at a funeral. Now, I, as a pastor, get the opportunity to do a lot of different funerals. And it's one of the things that I, I maybe have one of my biggest honors to get to do. I had the honor of doing uh, my, my mother-in-law's funeral. I've had the honor of doing uh, some very close friends' funeral. I've had the honor of doing my grandmother's funeral. It's 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 something I, I feel very uh, privileged to get to do. And what's interesting is that every time I do a, a funeral service, the way that people respond is always varied, right? Some people are very emotional. Some people are kind of focused. Some people are very quiet. Some people just want to be around people. Very different the way that people respond. Now, in this story, it's in the book of John, chapter 11. You can turn there. We won't read the entire thing for the sake of uh, today, but you guys got dinner to eat here. But in the story, we see that there's a man named Lazarus who's very sick. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus is very close with his family. And they send word to Jesus, please come, Lazarus is sick. Please come to them to close relationship with Jesus. They've seen him heal all kinds of people. They're like, we need to get Jesus over to our condo to take care of Lazarus. So call him, get him over here. And in John 11, verse 4, we see this. News came to Jesus, and when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son, that's him, may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha, or loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, if we're just being honest, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Sounds like bad time management, right? It doesn't It doesn't kind of fit into our American theology that God just does what we need him to do. It doesn't add up for us. And I don't think it necessarily added up for Mary and Martha either. He was close with them. You healed all these people, all these strangers. Now people that are close to you are in need and you take a couple days. It is kind of almost feels like there's a juxtaposition there and it's hard for us to make sense of, but... Jesus doesn't always respond how we expect him to, right? But for the sake of today, what I think that we'll see is don't mistake Jesus's timing with the lack of compassion. Oftentimes, Jesus doesn't show up the way that we think he should or the way we want him to. We say he must not care. But this story will show us anything but that. And after word came to Jesus, after a few days, Jesus and his crew, they kind of make way for the city of, of Bethany is where, where Lazarus uh, was at, where his family was at, which was dangerous for them to go there because he recently got ran out of this, this area that he's been doing his healings, making these bold claims about himself, kind of having these conflicts with the religious leaders, and they were going to stone him. And so it was not safe for him to go back there. So his disciples like, are we going to do this, right? And Jesus, he finally gets there. He finally arrives in Bethany. After, after four days, he finally gets there. And Martha, one of these two sisters of Lazarus, she's a little bit more type A. She comes out and she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Look how Martha's response. She goes, I know he will rise again on the resurrection of the last day. That the Jewish hope would have been this belief that the Messiah was going to come and that this resurrection would happen. It would have been part of their belief. And in Jesus, is, he's saying, he's saying, your brother will rise again. And she's given the church answer like, I, I know, right? Like there's, there's things that we, we have pain in our life and sometimes people throw Bible verses at us and we're like, I know, right? It's almost the way she's responding. I, I know he's going to rise again. But then, but then here, Jesus makes a profound statement. Because she, Martha knew the theology. She knew the belief. But Jesus makes a profound statement here in verse 25. Jesus says, yes, he will rise again on the last day. But she says, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in evil, never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? She had the theology, she had the church answers, but Jesus kind of, he flips this and he says, the resurrection isn't just a thing that happens. It's a life with me. It's a life through me. He says, I am the cause. I'm the one who raises the dead, the one who sustains life now and forever. He says, I am the foundation of this reality that you believe in. This theological belief of future resurrection, he says, I am the foundation for that belief. I'm not just a good teacher who also believes this. I am the foundation for this belief. Now hold on to that, that Jesus claiming he's the resurrection and the life, because we're going to swing back to this for the sake of today. And then what happens after this is Martha goes and gets her other sister. She goes and tells her sister, Mary, that Jesus is here. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at Jesus' feet. That's important. I'd underline that in your Bibles. She fell at the feet of Jesus. But she says the same thing Martha said. She felt the same way. Lord, if you would have just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, kind of the family and friends also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, troubled. There's this visceral word that is used there. He says, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. This is one of the, most, the, the shortest passages in scripture. Jesus wept, verse 35 says. Jesus wept. We see that, that Mary comes to Jesus. As, as Martha, Martha kind of met Jesus on the way in. She kind of met her on the, or met Jesus on the way in. And she's like, where were you at, dude? What's going on? She wants a little more type A and then a little more maybe intellectual where Jesus' interaction with her, he kind of explains it. Where when Mary comes, she falls at his feet, she just falls at his feet, crying. And we see Jesus weeping with her. Almost Martha responds in this intellectual sense and Mary kind of responds in this emotional sense. We all respond to these things differently, but Jesus meets them both where they at. He doesn't rebuke Martha for challenging her, for challenging him. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, just kind of sit there and watch Mary, but he himself is deeply moved. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb where they had placed Lazarus. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Then verse 39, he says, take away the stone. And then Martha says, but, but Lord, the sister of the dead man, that's Martha. She says, by this time, it's been four days. She said, there's a bad odor. He's been there for a long time. Don't, don't move the stone. What are you doing? 
Now they'd have seen Jesus heal people who couldn't walk, who couldn't see. They might have seen him multiply bread and fish. They might have seen him turn water into wine. All these things. But he shows up. He's like, move that stone off this grave. And they're like, hold up, Jesus. It's going to stink. Literally, the KJV version of the Bible. Go look it up. It says, he stinketh. <laughs> like Martha's like, no, Jesus, he stinketh. Right? But then look at verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Think about this for a second. Jesus is God. One of his best friends has died. His friends are all worked up. He didn't show up when they thought he was going to show up. He is deeply moved. He's troubled. He's crying. And he is going to demonstrate something powerful. He's claimed that he's the resurrection, that he's the life. And then he walks at this grave with a loud voice. You know, he's not like, Lazarus, Lazarus, you know, you just imagine the authority of Jesus, Lazarus, come out. Like, I mean, it was probably a gnarly way he said it, you know. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off these grave clothes and let him go. This, this is a, a gnarly story. You think about the weight of what happened. This story claims that Jesus raised a man from the dead, that these were people that Jesus was close to. That Jesus makes this bold claim that he doesn't just know about the resurrection and the life. He's not just encouraging Martha with the resurrection and the life, but that he is the resurrection and the life. It points us to a couple things this Easter. As we, as you watch on, on Easter, it tells us a couple things. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, Easter points us to a few things. If he's the resurrection and the life, first and foremost, it points us to a forgiven past. If we put our faith in Christ, if we acknowledge him as Lord, acknowledge our need for him, acknowledge him as Savior and King, if we, if we seek belief in Jesus, that our sin has been forgiven, we just celebrated Good Friday a couple days ago, that the whole picture of this weekend is from Friday to Easter, from the cross to the empty grave. That the, the cross of Jesus, Good Friday, points us to our need to be forgiven. Jesus didn't nail himself to a cross and rise again because he was bored, but because of the necessity of our sin that need dealt with. We all have a past. We've all got futures coming too, but we all have a past for some of you. You, you know what your past is. And if I was to ask you about what's in your past, you're like, got a whole list. Got I, I, you don't have to, you don't have to ring me very hard for me to know my sin. And for others of us, it might take some convincing because I'm a pretty upright person. I'm not perfect, right? There's a, a, a pastor says we've all sh fallen short of the glory of God, but that doesn't keep us from measuring who has fallen the furthest, right? For some of us, it's adultery and addiction. For others of us, it's pride and greed. For some of us, it's being our own sense of morality and doing life how we think it should be because we are God. That is our, uh, we, we believe that we are God. We are going to make the ultimate 
decisions, and scripture points us to the fact that our sin, our pasts, our, our wrestling with sin, it's, it leads to death. The wages of sin is death. It's why Jesus came. It's why God himself hung on that cross. And after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Because Lazarus was dead. And if sin leads to death, you almost see this picture of Lazarus being wrapped in his grave clothes. And when he is alive, what is on him is meant for people who are dead. But now he's alive and Jesus says, take off them grave clothes. And for some of you, you can't forgive yourself. And that may be causing you to, to harbor bitterness in your heart. That may be causing you to hold on to sin. That may be causing you to refuse grace because you can't forgive yourself. And what you've done, what you've said, what you've seen, it weighs heavy on you. And you feel the weight of your sin. You feel the impact of your sin. You feel the smell of death, right? Because sin causes pain spiritually, relationally, eternally. That sin stinketh, right? And you know the weight of it. But when Jesus died on that cross, when Jesus hung on that cross, he said it was finished. And the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the curtain that separated us from the presence of God was torn because now we have access to God through Christ. And he said, it's finished. There's nothing you can do to make your peace with God. You can't beat yourself up enough. You can't memorize enough Bible verses. You can't do enough better next time. There's nothing you can do to atone for your sin. Somebody else had to deal with the weight of that. And that is what Jesus has done. That's what Easter points us to is that we can have a past that has been forgiven, not just our past, but our future sins, that our sin has been forgiven. Yet scripture tells us that he has separated it as far as from the east, from the west, we put our faith in Jesus. For one, one quote, say, the sins you can't forget, he cannot remember. Not because he's like, what's the sin I forget? But because God chooses to forgive our sin and not to hold them against us, not to remember them. That's what Jeremiah 31 points us to. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Just as Lazarus was dead in that tomb, he was wrapped in his grave clothes. He's there for four days. He's thinking. Just as you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But, but Ephesians 2 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and our wickedness and our rebellion, and our sin, just as we were dead in that, it's by his grace that we have been saved. That the resurrection, the story of Jesus on Easter, what our entire faith hinges on, is that our past can be forgiven and dealt with. But not just our past, but there is a present comfort. That there is a, a fellowship in suffering. You know, you know the feeling when you when you're talking to somebody and you're you're sharing part of your, your story with them. You share a part of your story with somebody and and maybe it's a pain you have. You know, maybe it's, I lost a job or I went through this divorce or I, this person passed or I walked through this sickness or I, I did this thing that's just hard. And you talk to somebody and they just don't get it. You know, they're like, yeah, that must be rough. And you, you're like thankful that they're listening here, but they maybe just don't connect with you. But when you have, if, if, if you have walked the path of cancer and you talk to someone who also has walked that path, if a family member is walking through that path, and you're talking to someone else who's caring for a family member, when you are in the middle of job loss and someone else has lost a job, 
when you have harmed people relationally because of what you said, you're talking to someone else who under, there is a fellowship in suffering. I just watched the, this this World War II documentary, and you see these these World War II vets who have experienced the same thing. Different places didn't know each other, old 90-something-year-old dudes, but when they they know that this person has experienced what they have experienced, there's this fellowship of suffering, right? That's what we see in Christ. That there, Easter points us to a present comfort. Now, ultimately, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us in the present, but what we see in John 11, look at this. And my clicker going. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. In his spirit, he was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said, come and see him. He wept. He wept. Jesus wept. Sometimes I think we, we kind of flatten Jesus. We're like, oh, he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, so does he really care that much? Like, he knew it was going to happen, so huh, just hold on, guys. Let me show you a magic trick. Je- Jesus said, He's like, this sickness will not end in death. It is for the glory of myself. I'm going to point to this this resurrection that I am going to do. And this is going to be a picture of that. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. Yet he was deeply moved by seeing their, their, their pain. He sympathized with them. Lazarus was his friend. His friend had died. He knelt at the graveside of his friend and cried. But didn't he know Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human? That he suffers with us. For some of you, like Martha, the first sister, you may know about Jesus. You may know about what the Bible says about Jesus. But in some ways, you may not know Jesus. You know, he taught, I know the rules, the commands, the regulations. I got to live this way. So this is what happens to be sure. You know those things. But in the Gospels, we see a God who kneels with us. Jesus is gentle and lowly in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's a man of suffering. He kneels with the broken. And he himself cries at the loss of a friend and seeing the effects of death on those that he loves. He has fellowship in suffering with us. Into Martha, he reminded her of the truth. He reminded her that he was God, but to Mary, the one who fell at his feet. He saw her pain. He saw the pain of his friends and he wept with them. We see the beauty of this picture. I think about this. Sometimes I think in terms of, of pictures. And, and sometimes when we, we think about think about God, sometimes we can be in this circle where we know that Jesus is this compassionate sufferer, right? Yeah, he loves everybody. And he's with us and he cares about us. And we, we feel really good about the sense that Jesus is our friend, that he's near, that he's with us, and that he loves everybody. And that, that feels easy to get a hold of. And so when we see Jesus crying with, with Mary, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the Jesus I know. And for some of us, we, we, we know Jesus is as the sovereign God. He is God, right? That this, this, his slowness to show up was going to result in victory because even though Lazarus was going to die, he was going to raise him again because Jesus is sovereign. He's all knowing. And some of us were like, yeah, don't cry for too long, people. Jesus is in control, right? This all has a greater purpose. All of this is pointing to his kingdom, it's pointing to his own resurrection, it's pointing to a bigger picture. So just hold on to your tears. You'll see how this all makes sense later. And some of us can fall here. In the beauty of this passage, that, that the Jesus who loved them, yet took his time. 
The Jesus who knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, yet weeps with him. That Jesus is not just here, that's here, but we see Jesus is fully both. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the present and the future. He is not just hope for there and then, but of here and now. That Jesus pulls these things together. It's in the middle where we see Jesus revealing God's kingdom by loving those that he loved. By living in relationship and suffering along with us. That Jesus points us to a present comfort. But ultimately, ultimately Jesus in his resurrection at Easter points us to a future Ultimately, this picture, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that in this miracle, he's demonstrating a hope beyond this life. Lazarus would die again. He is not hanging out. Lazarus isn't just walking the earth chilling. He died again. He stinketh again eventually, right? But this miracle... This miracle of Jesus being the resurrection in the life of demonstrating his power through resurrecting Lazarus points to the fact that he will one day make all things new. What Jesus illustrated in raising Lazarus, he has accomplished in his own death and his own resurrection. That our hope, the Christian hope, is not in the fact of a, a better place or brighter tomorrow, or of self-improvement, or an abstract sense of things going up and to the right. But the hope for the, for the follower of Jesus is life after, life after death, a resurrection where Jesus will make all things new. Our hope is not an escape. It's not, let's just get out of here, but it is in renewal. Of our, of our bodies and of the earth. This is the Christian hope. This is what Jesus is talking about. When he says, I am the resurrection. This will happen through me. Life is found in me, not just here and now, but the ultimate life that we all long for, that we get a taste of, we all know deep in our hearts and souls that there's got to be more than just this. And Jesus says, I am that life. I know it sounds wild. I know it sounds about this idea of resurrection, but isn't that what we all long for? Isn't that what we hope that technology and politics and entertainment and medicine are going to bring us? The true life that is deep within us that we long for? I had a conversation with a friend years ago, and I know I've said this probably at some point before, but we were talking and we were just musing about things. He's not sure what he believes about Jesus, and he kind of said something to the extent of, we know if we can clone, you know, the scientists do a lot of stuff with cloning. And if we could back up our memories, we'd clone our body and back up our memories and put them in this new body. Couldn't we live forever? And doesn't that erase the need for God? And I said to him, if existing in this current state of things forever is what eternal life is, then I'll take my 80 years and go. Because we look around, we see the pain and the divisiveness and even our best intentions lead to pain. And we see nations and things rise and fall and all these things. And in our hearts, we long that the right politic or the right form of technology or the right entertainment or medicine will fix these things. And while these things are important, hear me say that, they will not satisfy our ultimate longing for all things to be made new. And Easter points us to the fact that if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he is not just hope for here and now, but 
but for then and there. And all of this hinges on the fact that Jesus and Nazareth, that that tomb was empty that Sunday morning. It is not said better than when the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, we'll throw it up here on the old screen. He says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no future resurrection from the dead? So he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, can this future hope, then not even Christ has been raised. Look what he says in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He's like, if Jesus is still dead, if there's the corpse of a Jewish carpenter who taught some good things out of the Middle East somewhere, he goes, what good is our faith? Sure, there's some hopeful tips and tricks, but we're not trying to have a life's life here and now. We're trying to have an ultimate hope that changes today. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Because if Jesus has not dealt with our sins, what do we do with all this guilt and shame? What do we do with this sin that we have brought into the world, the pain that we have caused? We may get forgiveness from this person, but we are perpetuating evil in this world, and it has to be dealt with. He said, he says, and those that have fallen asleep, those that have died in Christ, they're lost, right? Some of these people have done funerals for that if their faith in Jesus, our hope is we're going to see him someday again, not in like a nice little family reunion, but in the, the resurrection of all things. And if this isn't true, they're lost. In verse 19, he says this. If for this life we only have hope, then we of all people are most to be pitied. We have forgiveness for our past. We have, we have mission for today. We have comfort for today. We, have, we, have, we are here for a reason. This world, this life matters. But if we don't have a hope that is bigger than hopefully getting a couple bucks, hopefully living enough years, hopefully having a nice, smooth death, that that's all we have. Then Paul says we are to be pitied. I know it's Easter, sorry the pun, but all of our eggs are in one basket. And they're in the basket that Jesus is alive. And if he didn't raise, I may have some good examples and some good things like that. But if he did, and my friends, we gather on Easter, we sing, we worship, we open the scriptures, and we celebrate the fact that he is. We believe that he did. And if he did, our past, our sin has been dealt with. We are not alone in the present. We have a God who suffers with us. And we have a future that has been settled, not because we got figured out, but because Jesus promises to make all things new. We have a strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow because of the resurrection. In the Easter story, we see after, on, on Easter Sunday, early in the morning, it, it spelled out a couple different ways in the different Gospels, different angles. But we see these ladies come to the tomb to come to anoint the body, put spices and kind of care for the body. We see Peter and John come to the tomb. And in these different accounts, the, the stone has been rolled away. And there's an angel sitting there. And the angel says, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said he would. He's already gone into Galilee. You think of this picture. And in Mark, it kind of tells, they go into the into the tomb, and you don't see, like, clothes all ripped off. Like, Jesus was like, get this off me, right? He's God. He passed through his clothes, folds up the covering on his head, puts it on the, on the seat there. You think about... Think about this. What like Jesus is inside the tomb and he's like, hey, angel, roll this thing. Get this out of my way. 
The tomb wasn't open. I love this. Uh, Kathy Keller, uh, she says this, the stone wasn't moved so that Jesus could get out. It was moved so that we could see in. To see for ourselves that Jesus has risen. This open tomb is an invitation into this resurrection life. And I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha when he told her that he's the resurrection, that he's the life. He, he said to her, do you believe this? That if you find your life in me, you will live. Do you believe this? Belief isn't just thinking that something is real. Like just believing in the Bigfoot and the Yeti, right? Like that, that's not what belief is. Belief is clinging to, trusting in, adhering to, relying, throwing our whole selves into this thing, putting all of our eggs in this basket. Do you believe this? I ask you this, this Easter. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? We look around, I mean, it's not hard to see that our, our world is a mess in a lot of different ways, right? The church has run along with them, right? And we've been clinging, I know this for myself, we cling to, we rely on, we trust in so many different things to find comfort, to deal with our past, to, to kind of medicate us in the present and to just help us get by. There's all kinds of things that we try to figure out. Is it working? Is it working for us the way that we want it to work? Because the invitation of Easter is not just to know about the resurrection and life. Oh, Jesus, he did this thing. He will do this thing. Martha knew about it. But the invitation, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's inviting us into relationship. Do you believe this? Have you, have you confessed your need for Jesus? Trusted that he is who he says he is. And find confidence that our past is dealt with. He's present with us and there's a future hope beyond what this world can take away from us. Jesus, we love you. You make these bold claims and year after year we circle back this time of year to an empty tomb. That Jesus, you rose never to die again as Lazarus did, but you would be a you would ascend to the Father and you sit at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling. And Jesus, I pray that this Easter, that just the, the beautiful power of the story, that we would think deeply about what is actually happening, about what you are actually saying and what you are actually inviting us into, that we might believe. We love you, Jesus. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen. So glad you're with us uh, this Easter. I invite you to come hang out with us at our campus in Norton here. Uh, every Sunday we do this thing. Uh, email us. If there's anything we can pray for you about, any way we can just connect with you, come alongside of you wherever you're at in life, please feel free to email us. We'll throw that up at the bottom of the screen here, and we'll see you next week.